0: You know, the song that was just sung is Even If by Mercy Me. And one of the lines of that song says, they say, sometimes you win some and sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now, I am losing bad. You know, the question that that makes me ponder is for the times that we win, for the times that you win, how do you deal with those victories? Do you have a victory dance do you gloat in people's face? How do you deal when things go your way or when you have victory in life? And on the flip side, for the times that you lose, how do you deal with the heartache of defeat? How do you deal when life just does not go the way you want it to go? You know, so often in life, it just seems like it's a constant beat down, doesn't it? So often we just feel like we're knocked down all over again. We're on the same journey together. We're all dealing with similar things in life. It may be different stories, but life can be difficult. And Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, dealt with the beatdowns of life as he revealed this thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack this passage and learn not just how to deal with these thorns of life, but how to take these thorns and turn them into victory. I mean, that's what we long for, isn't it? To transform our pain to victory. And in Paul's writing of 2 Corinthians, specifically chapters 11 and 12, it is clear that he is dealing with some people that are really interested in boasting. They're interested in storytelling. They're interested in doing the one-uppers. Have you ever been in one of those conversations where it's always you get caught up into these one uppers. You say something and the person tries to beat you to it. They have something bigger and better that they have done. and They had more juicy details. And it's just this back and forth of who has the better story or who has the more glamorized situation or experiences or adventures. You know, as a child, <clears throat> excuse me, one of my favorite books was called Where the Wild Things Are. I loved this book as a kid. And in fact, when, my, when I had my three boys, you better believe I got that book. And read it to them. If you're not familiar with this story, it's a story about a young boy named Max. Who after he put on his wolf costume, he went all around his house. And he was just wreaking havoc all over the place. Until his mother said, Max, go to the room. No supper tonight. And then he went to his room. And he entered into a mysterious transformation of a jungle environment. And there he winds up sailing on an island of an inhabited by malicious beasts known as the wild things. And he overtakes them and he becomes their king, if you will. And he rules them and they think they're great. And he plays with them and he does amazing adventures with the wild things as he goes all over their land. But then he began to start to feel lonely and he wanted to go home. And he went back home to the wild thing's dismay. And when he returned back to his bedroom, there was his hot supper waiting for him. You know, I really loved this story. It was a story of a wild imagination of this young boy who in all reality never left his room. And throughout our lives, we tend to live out extreme stories of our own reality trying to portray ourselves as something even greater than we think we are. And oftentimes we live out our fantasies that only tend to leave us lonely and broken. We create our own storyline. We add these juicy details. We have reality here. And then we tend to create our own reality of what we think we are. And we just overwhelm ourselves. And this is the situation that Paul was facing with the people in Corinth when he wrote 2 Corinthians They were trying to boast about their experiences. And they were missing the point. They were trying to one-up each other about their great adventures in Jesus. And they were missing what it was all about. And to those storytelling one-uppers, Paul had this to say in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 6 and 7. He wrote, "...even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth." But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. What Paul is choosing to do, he's saying, I am not going to boast. What he's basically saying is, what is the point? What's the point of adding these juicy details? What is the point of all these one-uppers? I mean, seriously, for us today, what is the point? Oftentimes... It's to build our own self-esteem. We add these exciting stories. We try to one-up each other because we want to make ourselves feel better. But our self-esteem will never be built up based upon other people's opinions. It won't. And if you try to live your life trying to build up your self-esteem based upon what other people think, you will never be satisfied. You will not because there's something more. There is something deeper than that. And that needs to be something we need to understand. Over the next few weeks, we're going to explore this a little bit more about what that is all about. But for us today, what about you? Where are you at? Jot this down. Be honest with yourself. What do you choose to do? Are you more focused on boasting, adding juicy details, trying to one-up other people about how great you feel your life is or you want to portray your life as? Or what is your focus? Paul says he would not be a fool because he, was, he would speak the truth. He is saying, you know what? I've been there. I've done that. All those things that you want to add to your stories, I've done that. But I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be a fool. You know why? Because I don't want that focus on me. I do not want to be glamorized. What Paul is saying is, it's not about me. It is about Jesus through me. And the more we try to build our self-esteem based upon what I do, we're missing it. You know what Paul's story was? All you have to do is go back one chapter to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and here is Paul's story. He writes, Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received the Jews, from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led to sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. See, Paul said, I've been there. I've been through it all, but I don't want that to be my focus. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk more about finding strength in our weakness. But that last line from Paul is something we cannot overlook. If I need to boast, I will boast of things that reveal my weakness. This is so important in finding the fulfillment in our soul. You know why? Because it's all about your focus. Our one-uppers are, tend to be more focused on, look at me. Look at what I feel is my strength. Look what I can accomplish. Rather than in my weakness, it is revealed it's not me. It is Jesus through me. Paul didn't want the focus on him. You know, we tend to find the focus on us, and we find ourselves more empty. But the focusing on our weakness and focusing on Jesus finds fulfillment it comes down to where are you looking at everyone is longing for importance longing for something deeper but where you search for fulfillment in your life matters it really matters where you long to fill the emptiness in your heart it makes a difference. And so often we struggle with being recognized. We want to be recognized. We want to be glamorized, glamorized. We watch those red carpet events and we just think about what if that was me with all the spotlight and cameras focused at me. We want it. You know what the bottom line is? Every one of us on some level has a desire for attention. We all do. We all desire attention at some level. But as you do things to seek attention, you often find yourself creating more and more messes. And many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we live our lives as attention seekers. Always trying to gain that in our life, trying to be noticed by people around us. You know, years ago, when I started out in ministry, I was a youth pastor. And I took the kids to Creation, which is a Christian Woodstock, if you will. And on this particular day, we're getting the kids all set up. And I have to admit to you, one of my favorite bands of all time, Christian bands, is Audio Adrenaline. I was an Audio audio Adrenaline junkie. And so here we are at Creation. We got all the kids uh, set up. And I told my wife, Shelly, okay, the kids are good. I wanna go, AudioDrelin's playing tonight. I wanna to go try to catch a glimpse of them at their bus. I always took a chance whenever I could to go kinda of, kind of catch up with the band. And so there I was, roped out. Here's their bus about 20 feet away, roped out. It's me, my wife, and a whole bunch of junior high girls. And the band starts coming off the bus, and there they are, walking, and all the junior high girls are, woo, yay, AudioDrelin. And I'm thinking, they can't get all the attention. And so there they are, and there's the bass player, Will. And I remembered in college, I had a guy I knew that was friends with Will. They knew each other from back in the day. And so there we are, all the junior high girls screaming, and I just go, Will! Will! And at that moment, I had everybody's attention. The band was staring at me. The junior high girls had stopped their ooh and aah And my wife's hands were in her face, and she's wondering what is he about to do? And at the moment, I was like, I can't go back now. So I just go, I know Don Kirks. And everybody's like, what? And my wife just wants to run. And Will just goes, cool. And he just walks on by. And in that moment, I thought, boy, I am an idiot. I am the biggest fool on the face of the earth. Many of us find ourselves in that moment, don't we? I mean, be honest with yourselves. There's been times in your life you were so focused on gaining attention that you made yourself look like a fool. We've all been there because in, our, in the deep, soul, deep depths of our heart, we desire to have attention. We become attention seekers. You know, We find ourselves on this path. You begin to do little things to have people notice you. Sometimes it might even be negative attention. You know, you do negative things to get negative attention, and you don't realize the hurt you're bringing upon yourself. But then what tends to happen is it just begins to escalate. You do it more frequently. You do bigger things to gain attention. And then before you know it, you become self-centered, and your heart is empty. And you find more loneliness. And rather than finding more peace, you found less Peace. And you wonder, how did I get here? How did I get to this point? Here's the point. Jot this down in your notes. Many life struggles occur because we are me-focused. So often we find messes in our life because we make the focus about ourselves rather than Jesus. Jesus. And then we wonder, what happened? You know, think about it for a moment. Do you struggle with a desire to be glamorized? Are you more concerned with getting the spotlight rather than like Paul putting the spotlight on Jesus? Sometimes we just create this false sense of reality of ourselves. I like to call it the Simon Cowell effect. You know, years ago, I used to love to watch American Idol. Now, I'll be honest with you. I didn't enjoy it when the singers got good. That tends to be when I usually tuned out and quit watching. You know when I really enjoyed it? When the opening auditions, when there was people who had no idea that they couldn't sing, just to see how Simon Cowell responded. You know, I loved that. It was great TV. And I always wondered, how in the world do these people not realize that they can't sing? But you know what? Many of us, many times, in different ways have created false reality for ourselves. It happens very easy and subtly. You know, here is reality. And then before you know it, you start the one-up game. You think, boy, I can really do this. You try to one-up somebody else. You add some more juicy details to your experiences and to your stories. Or there's someone in your life who, to be honest, doesn't want to hurt your feelings. And so rather than causing something and saying, you can't sing... They're just going, oh, that sounded nice. And that just added another layer to it. And before you know it, you live in this false sense of reality and reality's way over there. And you have no idea why it just keeps, doesn't come together for you. And we live that life in so many ways. And the more we attempt to put the spotlight on ourselves, the more we create false realities for ourselves. And the more we have the struggle of falling into the trap of becoming A fool. Becoming a knucklehead like me in uh, in front of a bunch of junior high girls screaming out to a band of who cares who you are. Right? Sometimes we just put ourselves in that situation. And many times we don't even realize that we're acting like a fool. But sometimes, let's be honest, you are. And so am I. The country boy comedian who was pretty popular several years ago, Jeff Foxworthy. I mean, Jeff Foxworthy had some great one-liners, You Might Be a Redneck If. I used to love those jokes. You know, here are some of my favorite Jeff Foxworthy one-liners. You ready? You might be a redneck if you consider duct tape a long-term investment. I'm a redneck. You might be a redneck if you keep a can of Raid on the kitchen table. You might be a redneck if your school fight song was the dueling banjos. Dun, 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 dun. That's about the ability of my music skills. You might be a redneck if you think a hot tub is a stolen bathroom fixture. Yeah. Lastly, you might be a redneck if you take fishing equipment to SeaWorld. There you go. You know, Jeff Foxworthy definitely had some funny one liners, and I know some of them are pretty cheesy, but I still chuckled every once in a while. But on a serious note, Did you know the Bible provides some insight to gauge if you're a fool or not? Did you know that? So jot these down. Here are two things according to the Bible you're a fool. Number one, you're a fool if you think you have all the answers. Biblically speaking, you're a fool if you think you have all the answers. These are people that know everything. At least they think they do. No one likes a know-it-all, and sometimes we tend to live the characteristics of a know-it-all. And, and we struggle with that attitude. And it's interesting how often people always want to prove how smart they are or how knowledgeable they are, taking every opportunity to let them know, people around them know that they know what they're talking about, that they know something. But what's the point? What's the point? A Danish scientist named Piat Hein once said, those who always know what's best are a universal pest. Ain't that the truth? You know, those that really struggle with the characteristic of a know-it-all, of being a know-it-all, really, let's be honest, have an underlining struggle with insecurity. And at some level, we all have an underlining struggle with insecurity of some point. Maybe you just feel like you're not enough. Like you're not good enough. You're not smart enough, pretty enough, thin enough, classy enough, articulate enough, artistic enough, or whatever enough you want to throw in there. You just don't think you have it. And you beat yourself down with insecurities. And through this, you try to fill the emptiness that is in your heart with a gap of attention. And you become an attention seeker by acting like you know everything so people can look at you and think, look, they're smart. They got all the answers. Some people who struggle with the characteristic of a know-it-all truly believe they know it all. They think they're, they're enlightened. They have all the answers. And that's a scary place to be because let me be honest, you don't know it all. None of us do. That's why we got Jesus. That's why we trust him. But others who struggle with the characteristic of being a know-it-all, if you're honest, has a deep difficulty with intimacy. Some of us really struggle with intimacy. You know, in its most basic understanding, intimacy means closeness, the ability to be completely open and real. You know, Forrest Gump was a great movie, and he would always say that Bubba was his bestest good friend in all the world. And my question for you, do you have a bestest good friend? Do you have someone in your life that you can be absolutely real with, honest with, and they can be real with you? They can be the Simon Cow in your life and say, you know what? You can't sing. Do you have someone in your life that you know that can be honest with you? We need that. We need that in our life. You know, let's be honest. At some level, we all struggle with this. We all struggle with this. We keep most people at bay. We live in a Facebook relationship lifestyle and everybody's kept at surface level my question for you is, who are you real with? Who are you real with? There's something I really believe, a fundamental truth, biblical truth that you cannot overlook and we have to stop ignoring and is this. You were never created to be alone. You were never created to be alone. That's why God created The church. And the more we try to do life on our own, the more you're going to find heartache, pain, loneliness, and disappointment. But the more you surround yourself with people who you trust, people that you can be real with, the more you will find victory in your life. That's why here at Impact, we value growth groups so much because you're not going to find that intimacy in relationships on in the big group. You know where you're going to find it? You're going to find it when you get together in a growth group and you can find some people that you can journey through life together and be real with and they can be real to you. We need that. You know, but when we allow these struggles to consume us and we take on the characteristics of a know-it-all, the Bible says that we are on a pathway of becoming a fool and just bring in some negative consequences into our life. Look how, look how Proverbs 18:2 puts it: Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions." In other words, you are a fool if you're only concerned about what you think you know, and you shove away everybody else's thoughts or opinions or understanding, especially God's. Secondly, The Bible says you are a fool if you let your mouth run you. What I mean by that is that there are people in our life, and some of us, who let's be honest, we struggle with having a filter. It's just like open up the mouth and let the floodgates coming out. You know what I'm talking about? Mark Twain said it this way. It is better to keep your mouth shut and appear stupid than open it up and remove all doubt. Ain't that the truth? My question for you is, does your mouth control you? Do you struggle in relationships or in your life that you just open up your mouth and you just blah everything? At some point, we need to learn the skills of having filters on our mouth because we're hurting ourselves and we're destroying our relationships. That is a path towards being a fool. Proverbs 18, verse 7 puts it this way. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. Many people have ruined themselves and have broken relationships in their lives simply because they have not learned and developed the skills of controlling their own tongue, controlling their own mouth. And it is so important to develop those healthy skills, to develop the ability just to control your mouth, to develop a filter in your mouth so you don't just let it run out. I mean, have you been there where it's just like you let everything come out and then you think, oh, no. There goes that friendship. Friendship. Have you been there? It's not fun. So you want to do better at maintaining those relationships and building those relationships up? These aren't your notes, but here's some basic skills at truly controlling your mouth. It's simple. It's easy. Number one, just stop. Stop. And just take time to listen. You've heard it say before, there's a reason God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? At some point, we need to learn how to use our ears better and our mouths less. Just practice listening and hearing what the other person has to say. And stop. And before you open your mouth and let the floodgates come out, process and think to yourself, are my words truth? Are my words that I'm about to say meant to build up and be constructive or are they meant to bring hurt and pain? What is the motive behind what I'm about to say? Think about those things before you just let it out. Just slow down. Slow down and stop dominating the conversation. Stop trying to win the argument because you're going to lose the relationship. Just slow down. Don't dominate the conversation. Give the other person a chance to breathe and speak or to end the conversation if they desire. And lastly, avoid gossip. At all costs, please, avoid gossip. The Bible reveals to us that gossip is of the devil. It is not a good thing. Whether you are speaking it or listening to it have nothing to do with gossip. Push it away. Engage in conversations that are constructive and meant to build up rather than to tear down. Here's the reality. We fall into these traps of focusing ourselves that just bring more pain. We focus so much on us, so much on me, that it just brings more pain into our life, pain into our relationships, and emptiness into our souls. But jot this down. The me-focused mentality, what it really does is it develops a lifestyle of conceitedness. That's what it does. The more you focus on you, on me, on what I want, the more it just develops that lifestyle of being conceited. In, in its uh, definition form, conceited is being excessively proud of yourself. It's becoming so focused on you and what you want. And that's the culture we live in. We've become so me-focused That we lost out on the importance. You know, one of the greatest empires of all time was Rome. And it it expanded its empire throughout the lands back in the day until it fell. And many believe that Rome fell because they, they defeated themselves. That they became so blinded by their own pride. And many times we have a tendency to allow our own pride to blind us. And create a whole new reality for our lives. It's not true reality. It's a reality developed based upon our own pride of myself. And before you know it, it's going to bring hardship, pain, and disappointment. The Apostle Paul, he did not want to fall into this trap. He knew how real the possibility was. If we're not careful, you can't escape it. It's a slippery slope the more you focus on yourself, the more you allow pride to consume us. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the second half. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. You see, my friends, what Paul is revealing here is that pride is a serious problem. Pride has the the ability to control your attitude, to consume your heart, and to torment your soul. But what makes you proud? Is it you? What you feel is your strengths? What you feel you accomplish? Or is it Christ in you? A man by the name of Henry Ward Beecher said this, A proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. That's the culture we live in. We are so focused on what we feel we deserve. We always feel like we are owed something more. And then you're never satisfied and you're never grateful. And so often, through a conceited attitude, We just build that, and we build that, and we try to build our own empire. But if you struggle with that attitude, and at some level, I think we all do, here's a simple cure. First of all, just recognize it. Be honest with yourself. Admit the fact that, you know what? I struggle with pride. Say it. Be honest with yourself. Find those people in your life who can be real with you and say, you know what, I struggle with pride. I get so focused on me and what I feel I deserve or what I want. I struggle with pride. You've got to be real with it. And then begin to actually live a life of being gratitude, being thankful for that what's going on around you being focused on how other people are blessing you and trying to do things to build you up. And then the biggest thing that you can do to overcome an attitude of pride is become a servant. Stop living a life with the expectation that others are there to serve you and start living with the expectation that I live to serve others because that's what Jesus did for me. He gave up his life for me. And we struggle with giving him an hour a week. Do you see a little bit of a problem with that? I don't live so that I can be glamorized. My desire is to live for Christ through me. And the more I serve, the more my attitude changes from me Me, and when I feel I deserve to what Jesus is doing. And the more you'll see that too, whether it's here at Impact, being on a ministry team, whether it's going out for lunch today and how you treat the waitress or waiter at the table rather than with the expectation you exist to serve me, you know what, I'm here to serve you. How can I serve you better today? Opening doors for people. It's the little things to the big things. Be living a life of serving will transform your heart. And it will fill the emptiness that you have in your soul. And lastly, be willing to laugh at yourself. Stop taking everything so doggone serious. Just laugh at yourself a little bit. We make mistakes, and it's okay. Enjoy life. The key word here with all this and overcoming pride is humility. Humility is putting others before yourself. It's realizing, you know what? It's not about me. It's about Christ through me. And I'm done trying to create a whole new reality that is so focused on me and what I want and what I feel I deserve. I'm done with that because it never leads to a path of happiness. I don't want that anymore. I want true reality. And that is, it's about Jesus. It's about living for him. It's about serving others because of him. It's about Christ through me. And there I find the fulfillment I've been longing for. There I find the peace I've always wanted. There I find the joy I've been seeking. You know, Paul, going back to his words in 2 Corinthians, he talked about this thorn in his flesh. And as Paul describes, this thorn was given to him. We don't really know what it is or what he was struggling with. All we know is he had a thorn in his flesh. And the reason Paul says that it was given to him was to keep him humbled so that he wouldn't make it about him, so that he would keep his focus In check. You know, he didn't want to become conceited. He wanted his focus to be Jesus and the spotlight to be on Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, does God cause bad things to happen? No, he doesn't create it. But does God allow things to happen? Yes, he does. He allows the consequences of our own poor choices to play out. He allows the world to go down this destructive path. He allows things to happen. And we see this kind of play out in the story of Job in the Old Testament. We don't have time to dig into that, but I encourage you to read it sometime. The story of Job in the Old Testament is about this man who had it all and lost everything just like that. But yet he found peace, not in what he had, but in God. And before all that happened, we see Satan go to God, asking permission to bring these thorns into Job's life. You know, these thorns that we face, they really come in two forms. Jot these down in your notes. The first form that they come in are those that are self-created. Those that are self-created. Just as I said a moment ago, the reality is this. Sometimes we tend to make poor choices in our our life. The Bible calls that sin. And when we make these poor choices, what we in turn do is we tend to bring bad consequences into our life. And sometimes we even share those unfortunate consequences with those around us. And let's be honest, some of the thorns that you have in your life, you brought on yourself. And we pass it on to other people. There are those that are self-created. But secondly, there are thorns that are beyond our control. Sometimes life just happens. And I'll be honest, I don't have the answers or the explanations as to why sometimes hurt and pain comes. We don't always have those answers. But here's the thing. We need to find the ability that when consequences happen, when thorns come that are beyond our control, do I still trust Jesus? The song, Even If, said, you have the ability to take it all away. But even if you don't, it is well With my soul. Do you trust Jesus enough to live those words? That God, when the thorns come, even if you choose not to remove that thorn from my life, it is well with my soul. The point is where is your heart? Where's your heart? Where's your focus? The more you focus on yourself, the less you will be satisfied. But the more you focus on Christ through you, I promise you, the more you'll find the fulfillment that you seek.